listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. This morning, we will be looking at Luke chapter 12. Uh, Life, by definition, is more than just breathing. If I said, what is life? Most people wouldn't say, oh, the opposite of being dead. No, when we think about life as a concept, there's meaning, there's purpose. It's more than, okay, I have breath inside my lungs. There's a vision for our lives. There's a reason that we want to live. In Genesis chapter 2, when Jesus, we see Genesis chapter 1, the same thing is kind of parallel in Genesis chapter 2. When God breathes life into the first ball of dust, dirt, clay, mud, it wasn't like, hey, let me just form this life and boom, there it is. No, what does God do in order to give that dirt, dust, mud? What does he do in order to give it life? He breathes his breath into it. We have, from the very beginning, this picture of life as being more than just a clump of cells. Well, at least you're not dead, so I guess you're alive. No, we see actually in Genesis chapter 2, the Hebrew word there is ruach. Everybody say ruach. Ruach. Yeah, if that didn't create some saliva and you didn't do it the right way, that's called a guttural. And so that means literally the spirit is the spirit. Spirit of God, and there it's used as the breath of God. And so when we think about life as a concept, that means there's something more to it than just when we look around and see these things around us. So this morning, I want to answer this question about what is life, what is the good life. But before we do, I want you to repeat these words after me. These come from Psalm chapter 119 and verse 18. And, and this, the cry of the psalmist there in 119 is to looking to God's, uh, it's looking to God's law to his word, to bring life. So repeat these lines after me. Open my eyes that I might receive God's wonderful word to me. Amen. That's our prayer. That's our hope this morning. So the question I want to answer is this. What is the good life? What is the good life? So just think about that for a second. I'll give you just a moment just to ponder, man, what is the good life? Maybe another way of asking this is, how do I know that my soul is safe? How do I know that my soul is safe? Because for many of us, we would say, if I just had fill in the blank, then life would be better. Some of us this morning, that's what we're concerned with. You're here, you're like, okay, let me me give my hour, hour and a half to God, let me do that. But then once I get out of here, then I'm going to go pursue something else. And then I'm going to get back to wondering and wishing for that thing. If I just had a spouse, if I just had a better job, if I just had a kid, if I just had something, if I just had a new car, a new house, whatever it is, if I just had a raise, then life would be better. Then the good life would be defined. For some of us this morning, we're trying to figure out what can I avoid. If I could just avoid something then my soul would be at rest. For some of us, it may be, if I could just avoid my spouse, if I could just avoid my kids, uh, if I could just avoid death, if I could just avoid chores, am I right, kids? If I could just avoid homework, then my soul would be at rest. 
And then for others of us this morning, not only if my soul be satisfied, here's what I need. Not only if, here's, if I could avoid this, my soul would be at rest. But for many of us this morning, it would be this. If I could simply, once I'm able to afford fill in the blank, then everything will be good. Right? If I could just afford that new car. If I could just afford retirement. If I could just afford college. If I could just afford a new gaming system. If I could just afford something at the, at the dollar store for some of us, right? Y'all with me? If I could just afford something, then everything would be better. But all of these questions, they get back and they center on this primary question that I want us to look at. What is the good life? Here's what I want us to see in these first few verses that we just read. David, thank you for reading. That was fantastic. That is, uh, is gut-wrenching to get up here, and we'll talk about fear in just a moment. So I'm glad that David did that for us this morning. But if we look at the first few verses, I want us to see, beginning at verse number 13, I want us to see that the good life is a soul satisfied in Christ. The good life is a soul satisfied in Christ. Look at verse 13. So we just heard about this guy. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now we could, we know a lot of these, we could go into a lot of the detail. This is actually the younger brother. He has an older brother because the older brother would actually divide the inheritance. So we know a few things about this guy. Uh, we know that his father has probably just passed away. This guy was the younger brother. But, but here's what I want us to notice most of all, is that Jesus just got through. We just saw in the first 12 verses of this chapter, what did Jesus just get through teaching about? He just got through teaching about beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. You see those pericopes right there. He says, have no fear. Make sure your gaze is set to heaven. Don't worry about the things of this earth. And then he gets down to verse number eight, right here in the same chapter. Acknowledge Christ before men. And I tell you, once you get to heaven, you want Jesus Christ to acknowledge you before angels, before God the Father, before all men. Now notice this man, he just got through hearing Jesus, just got through hearing Jesus talking about heaven and hell. And what does this guy do? He wants Jesus to arbitrate a matter about money. He's like, Jesus, heaven and hell, that's real important, that's cool. But what I'm really concerned about is my bank account. It's not like, okay, here's a totally different day. No, no, no. Someone in the crowd, he's right there. He says, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. This guy thinks heaven and hell, important, money, most important. Notice what Jesus says. Behold, he said to him. Now, in the Greek, this is actually, um, this is where the president gets it from. He actually says, come on, man. Who made me a judge? Or I'm just kidding. That's not really in the Greek. But when I saw that man right there, I just thought that's a great spot. But he says, man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? He's like, what a ridiculous question. He's like, I'm not going to address that. He says, I'm going to tell you a parable instead. Verse 15. And he said to him, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of of his possessions. So he says, don't worry. In light of heaven and hell and all of eternity, stop worrying here about the immediate. And I was thinking, when in my life have I said, have I just stepped back and thought, this is the life. Man, this is the life. We were up in North Georgia this past week for a couple of days. And uh, we, were at this, we were staying in the cabin with another family. 
And a couple of times I actually heard this phrase. One time I came downstairs and just outside there was a hot tub. And my oldest was sitting in the hot tub with some of the other kids. And, uh, and I actually looked over at me. As I walked up and he's sitting there, you know, he, he said, Dad, this is the life. <laughs> and I thought, you don't know what I'm preaching about Sunday. <laughs> and I'm doing a terrible job of discipling my kids. Uh, at another point, we were walking down on, uh, I guess it was on Thursday morning or, or Wednesday evening, and we were kind of walking out of the, out of the woods, and uh, me and Jeremy were standing there talking, and we, uh, at one point he said, man, I could get used to this. I can, I can get used to going on a hike every single day and just hanging out in nature. And I was like, yeah. I said, we're not made to sit behind our computers. I'm like, we're made for this. Essentially, what we were saying was, this is the life. This is the life. Have you ever been sitting on vacation? I know for me, somebody sent me uh, a, a, a job search a couple weeks, maybe it was last week. And somebody that I know very closely to me, uh, they sent me this, this, uh, this church in Panama City Beach. And they said, hey, they're looking for a lead pastor. I thought, well, I don't even feel like I have to pray about this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I get to preach, make more money, live on the beach. Like, I don't, I don't see how this could not honor God, <laughs> you know. Uh, and so I sent my resume. I'm just kidding. This is my resume again. Uh, the church is kind of checked. <laughs> but I'm like, but do you ever drive through and you're just like, this is the life. I have everything I need right here all together. You ever think that? This is the life. Jesus says right here, verse 15, take care and be on guard against all what? Covetousness. In other words, this is the life. Now, God, help me get it. That's the life. Now, God, help me get that. God, I know you're good, but what are you good for? That's covetousness. I think it's interesting that here Jesus says, take care and be on guard against this. Nowhere else in the Gospels does Jesus say, be on guard against something. He doesn't say, be on guard against adultery. Because guess what? You know when you are committing adultery. <laughs> you know when you are committing tax fraud. <laughs> You're not like, oh, I just kind of slipped into that one. Oops. But for covetousness, he says, you may not know. You probably won't know. You must be on guard against covetousness. Just consider our society, consider our culture for a moment. If your home makes six figures, at least six figures, I'm talking about gross. I'm not talking about well, after you take out taxes, after you take out kids, you know, uh, Roth. I'm, I'm talking about if you gross six figures in your home, you are in the top half of 1% of all the world, of all the world's earnings. The United States makes more money as a nation, GDP, than four times than almost every single country in the world. Isn't that wild? We have all kinds of money. When I sit here and think about the story of the rich fool, I'm like, man, who is the rich fool? Like, don't, don't start looking around because then I might feel convicted. Don't start looking around your living room or your neighborhood or your vehicle. But you know what's interesting is that when polled, I read this this past week, that one-third of all Americans in that top bracket in, who make at least six figures Household income, not individual. One-third of all Americans say that they do not have enough money for everything that they need. That was the verbiage used. It's just wild. We, we don't save very much money. In fact, Americans spend $1.26 of every single dollar they earn. You're like, that's really bad math. I know. It's called, it's called debt. 
It's called credit cards. 70% of credit cards are, are just paying the minimum because we, don't, we just want to kind of keep accruing these things. I, I see that. That's the good life. I'm going to do whatever I can to get that. I'm going to do whatever I can to attain that. Most Americans are not going to have anywhere near enough money to retire ever in their lives. It's wild. So we see here Jesus saying, look out for this. You can say, man, what if I just won the lottery? You ever think what you would do if, if you won the lottery? There's a 50% chance you'd be bankrupt within two years. <laughs> Statistically. I'm reading a book. I just got through reading a book. It's called, um, what's it called? The Curse of Oak Island. <laughs> and it's a, it's a really fascinating read. It's not about uh, Jesus or anything, but it's a really fascinating read. I encourage you to get it. But all I keep thinking is, if I could find that treasure, it's based on a true treasure hunt up in Nova Scotia. I just keep thinking, if I could find that treasure, then I could really do some good things for the kingdom. Then, then that would be the life. That would be the life. Jesus says, beware, be on guard. Verse 16, he told him a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And this rich man thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. So instead of using those resources or giving those things away, or instead of being blessed and then turning around and blessing those around him, he did what we do. Did you know that there are five times the number of storage buildings in America than there are Starbucks? You think there's a Starbucks on every single corner. I mean, we were in doggone Ella J, and there was a Starbucks there. I don't even think they have running water. And they had a Starbucks, at least one. There are five times the number of storage facilities in America than Starbucks. And by the way, most storage facilities, we, we collect so much junk. We're like, man, I got nowhere in my house, in my basement, in my attic, and all my crowded, cluttered rooms and walls and tables. I don't have nowhere to put my stuff, so let me go put it somewhere else where I know it's there, but I'm never going to go look at it. That's how much stuff we have. Most of the world, their homes look like our storage facilities. Like they literally are metal buildings. That's where most people put their families, and that's where we put all of our unwanted junk. <laughs> Is this hitting close to home yet? <laughs> it's been hitting close to home for me all week. Somebody asked me last night, they said, man, is, is it tough to preach every week and just to stay in the text and for this to hit your heart? And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's tough. Yeah, my, my toes have been stepped on all week. My legs have been kicked out from under me, you know? I feel like I'm just getting kicked in the ribs. Every time I read this, I'm like, man, we are the rich ones here. But then we keep going. Verse 19, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds kind of like the American dream, right? Jesus says the American dream is God's nightmare. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Let me just get to retirement where I can create a heaven on earth. That's what we're looking forward to. Is heaven, right? So let me create it. Let me look forward to the weekend, heaven on earth. Let me look forward to five o'clock, heaven on earth. We're looking forward to those things. And that desire and that passion is not bad. It's God-given. But we're looking to our things, to our possessions, 
as our gods. Instead, Jesus says, if you are possessed by God, you don't have to look to your possessions as gods. Imagine if you saw me walking through Target because I'm bougie like that. And if I was walking through Target uh, with a, a cart full of, let's say I had a Nintendo Switch, because my boys, they would like that, right? Um, we still have the Wii, you know, because um, we're humble. But let's say I had a Nintendo Switch, and I had some new joggers, preferably camo joggers, had a new uh, pair of shoes. I bought Shannon some stuff from that Magnolia Home collection things, you know, some candles. Uh, I'm walking through, in, you know, probably a big screen TV. And you saw me and you were like, hey, man, are you, are you buying all this stuff? No, I'm not buying it all. I don't have any money. I'm just walking through and shopping. But once I get done shopping, I'm just going to leave this cart here. You'd be like, well, that's an interesting way to spend all of your time. If you can't take it with you, like, bro, you're crazy. But isn't that us? We go through filling up our shopping cart full of stuff, and you're not going to be able to take any of these things with you. Beware. Be on the lookout. He calls this man here. He says, but God said to him, fool. Fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus says, give yourself to God, and you get God. Give yourself to all this stuff, and you get all this stuff. The good life is a soul satisfied in Christ. We pick up in verse number 22. Secondly, we see that the good life is a soul secure in Christ. The good life is a soul satisfied in Christ. Secondly, the good life is a soul secure in Christ. And we see right there in verse number 22, and he said to his disciples. Now, notice he goes back and forth, kind of like we saw this last week. We saw that he's speaking to the crowd, and then he speaks to his disciples. He speaks to his disciples here about fear. And here's what fear is. He says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, your body, what you will put on. And if you look down at verse number 32, he says, fear not. And so fear is the response to danger, whether it's real or it's perceived. The number one fear in America when folks are surveyed is public speaking, right? That's why I'm like, David killed it, man. Most folks, they would rather die than do that because the second fear, second greatest fear is actually death. So if you go to a funeral, statistically, you would rather be in the casket than behind the podium. Statistically. My greatest fear, well, I've got two greatest fears on the screen. One of them is snakes. I hate snakes with all my life. And I promise, if you try to scare me with a snake or a snake prank, so help me God, I will key your car, <laughs> I will slash your, whatever. Currently in our society, we have the FOMO, fear of missing out. We have cloudophobia, and these aren't ranked in order, but I was just trying to find some funny fears. Cloudophobia, which is the fear of clouds. Like, why is that a fear? I don't know. Sibophobia, uh, that's the fear of food. Some of y'all are like, never going to deal with that. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, man, I wish I had that. Uh, mesophobia, this is actually my greatest one. It's like snakes. Mesophobia is hearing someone else eat food. So I, I refuse to go to Moe's anymore with Chris Brown because he is... <laughs> the absolute loudest chip eater in the entire world. If you think scaring me with snakes is bad, you come to my house and eat a bowl of cereal that you're slurping up. I will, 
Okay, the next one <laughs> is arachibutophobia. <laughs> uh, I should have done some uh, vocal warmers before I said that. That's not the fear of peanut butter, but it's the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. Anybody struggle with that? Somebody does. Eh, a little bit. Okay, well, we got deeper issues. Okay, nomophobia is the fear of not having your cell phone. Hey, hey. <laughs> All of my shorts at home, all my basketball shorts, they have pockets. Why? Not so I can keep my Bible, but so I can keep my phone with me, right? And then the last one is hippopotamonstrosis phobia. I feel like I deserve an amen or something. That's actually the fear of long words, <laughs> ironically enough. And so when we think about fear... It's, you may be really scared of something. I saw a video this past week, and it was a kid hanging on to this, hanging on to this post, and it was, he was hanging over the water, and he's freaking out. I should have brought the video to you. And he's like freaking out, a little three-year-old kid. He's like, yeah, what if I fall into the water? Well, then his mom walks over and puts his legs down, and the water's about this deep. Now, there was nothing to fear in that moment, reasonably, but this, the kid, if you said, are you afraid? He would have said, I am frightened almost to death. Now, you're not going to say, oh, that wasn't real fear. No, the fear was very real, whether it was rational or not. Jesus says here, he says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. We have these indicators. And what is Luke again? What is his profession? Luke is a medical doctor. So Luke is not saying, hey, here's just a completely spiritual issue. But he's saying, here is a, here's a physical issue. Here are things that we deal with physically. Now, how does your body manifest anxiety? Just so you know, a quick precursor, this is not an excursus on anxiety. I'm not going to deal with everything that has to do with anxiety. But just know the purpose of this passage is for us to remove our focus from the immediate and place it on the eternal. That's the purpose in this. And so some folks are like, well, I deal with a, a clinical anxiety. I, cl I deal with clinical depression. Like, I, I get that. So I'm not saying, man, there's, there's something, a chemical imbalance, and Jesus is saying, man, just pray about it and get over it. I'm not saying that at all. Some folks require medication. I think we all need counseling. <laughs> but here he's talking about, man, if you're so worried about the immediate, here's how you deal with that. There are five responses often that your body has to, to anxiety. The first one is to fight. You've heard about fight or flight. Like either you engage with that or you run the other way. Well, now psychologists, they'll tell us that there's fight, flight, or freeze. Like you don't know what to do. You shut down or you fornicate. I realize it's family worship, and so we're just going to leave that word on the board. Uh, and the last one is food. How many of you, when you're just like, man, I don't, this anxiety is happening inside of my body. I should be in control of this situation, and I realize that I'm not. And these two things are happening in my body at the same time. Does it feel like that? I, I know for me, a lot of times my anxiety manifests itself in anger. Like I want to fight. For some, the flight reaction is what triggers us to go sit in front of a TV or in front of a screen and just escape. I thought about, okay, how would folks freeze? I know for me when I just want to, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'll pull up my phone and just start scrolling. I'll pull up my phone and start playing Sudoku. Because guess what I can do at that moment? I can at least be in control of something. So I, I don't know what to be in control of. Well, I can be in control of, you know, my emotions of judging other people, of, of winning Sudoku. 
Your body manifests anxiety by fornicating. Most of the time, when we're in the midst of anxiety, we're looking for satisfaction somewhere, and often that satisfaction is not found in the result, but it's found in the pursuit. Because nobody ever said, let me go fornicate by myself, let me go do that, and then I'm satisfied. Right? You want to do it again, and again, and again, because you're pursuing something that you're never going to get. And you're like, man, I, I need something, and I can't have it, so what am I going to do? Hopefully accomplish something, but it never provides. It's kind of like Christmas morning. You give your kids gifts. They're bored with them by noon. It's the same concept. You're, you're pursuing it. Man, I can't wait till Christmas morning. They get it. By lunchtime, they're like, oh, man, that was cool. You're like, but we had months of anticipation. It's the pursuit that we're after. And then lastly, it's, it's food. You're, you're like, man, something, something great just happened. Let's go to food. Let's go celebrate. Something terrible is happening. What do you do? You go to the freezer and look for buckets of ice cream. A couple nights ago, I was, I was sitting there. I was like, I, I had dinner. I had first dessert. I ate a snack of crackers and cheese. And then I had second dessert. And I went and got like a sleeve of Oreos and some crunchy peanut butter and a big old glass of milk. And I had second dessert. And it's because I just didn't feel right. I was just like, I've got I to be in control of something. There, there's something happening in my body. I can't figure out this passage. That's what I was dealing with. I don't have time. So I'm going to go at least shovel food in my mouth. And that's what Jesus says here. He says, don't look at the ravens. Now, understand this. The, the context of this, Jesus is speaking to an audience who their struggle with food was one of hunger. Our struggle with food is one of obesity. So when we understand that, man, why are we just shoveling food in our mouths so often? Maybe it's because we're anxious. Maybe it's because we lack clarity. Maybe it's because our eyes are not focused on eternity. And we're looking for something around us to make us feel better in the moment. You ever, you ever eat comfort food? You ever comfort eat? Usually it's in the form of junk food or binge eating. It's like, man, I just, I just need some, some fried MSG. Like, I, would, I just need some, some Chick-fil-A. I just need something starchy. I just need some mac and cheese. I need something super cheesy. Something Like, uh, man, that would just bring me comfort. We do. We need comfort. We're looking for security. We're looking for satisfaction, but we're looking in the wrong place. Jesus says, don't worry about these things. Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Our bodies manifest anxiety in a variety of ways, very real tangible ways. Sometimes, and I, I'm, I'm not saying this is all of us, but I would just, when, when we think about anxiety here, even in this passage, and again, this is a very nuanced conversation. I don't, I, I don't have time, unless you want to go get lunch and bring it back. I don't have time to delve into all the nuances of anxiety in every single person's life. But I can say this, as Luke is talking here about anxiety, and this crisis is addressing this, we know that anxiety manifests itself in some very specific ways. So sometimes, maybe you're overwhelmed to the point of suicidal thoughts. Like, man, I'm just, I'm just anxious. That's where anxiety has led me. Maybe you get this crazy eye twitch when you get anxious. Maybe you disassociate yourself from reality with relationships. Maybe you seek to escape. Maybe you drink too much coffee. And you got to stay awake. You got to stay on. And maybe then you're, you're so high on, on coffee, so much energy, because you've got to accomplish things, it requires alcohol for you to come down. We have this anxiety, and so we're relying on these different chemicals to bring us up and to bring us down because we don't want to face reality. 
We're dealing with anxiety. Maybe you're highly emotional. You're exhausted. Maybe you experience paranoia or incredible weight change. Maybe you experience panic attacks. Maybe you're like, man, I've just got this IBS. I've got these stomach issues. But what was the onset of that? I don't know. Things started happening at work. Things started happening in life. I didn't know what to do. I felt like I was out of control. I was looking to the things around me, to the immediate. My heart hurts. I've got all these vacation days. You know that Americans, we use fewer vacation days today than ever. And even when we do go on vacation, anybody ever do a working vacation? I hear these guys talk about like it's a badge of honor. Man, I went on vacation, but I still had to work four or five hours in the morning. I'm like, well, congratulations. Why did you do that? Because you're in control of everything. And there are more and more companies adopting the policy that you can have unlimited vacation days. And guess what? With unlimited vacation days, we're taking fewer and fewer vacation days because we can't escape from being in control by trying to make sure everything is going just right, by making sure we're providing for our needs. Can I tell you that the Father promises to provide for your needs, but not your greeds? The Father promises to provide for your needs, but not your greeds. So what are you pursuing? What are you anxious about? The world would tell you when you're anxious, when you're dealing with these things, it would say to look to yourself, to listen to yourself, to love yourself. Jesus says to look to the Father, look to eternity, look to a real, true, better treasure, and that's where you're going to find security. When we get better and better at worshiping me instead of worshiping God, it only results in fear and anxiety instead of trust and generosity. So how are we using the things that we have been given by the Father? Are we using them for his glory or for ours? He says here in verse 24, he says in 24 and verse 27, he says, consider, consider the ravens. Now, he doesn't say the, ra the ravens never work. No, they still have to go out and look for food. But God provides for them. Verse 27, he says, consider the lilies. They're more beautiful than Solomon. And, and everything that he had, the richest man probably in the history of the world. The, the lilies aren't sitting around. They don't put on their, they don't look over their friends. Hey, does, does this petal make me look fat? <laughs> no, they're concerned with the glory of God. Are the ravens concerned? Man, you know what? I, I've been eating these worms. Gosh, I wish I had some better worms. No, he says, consider, think about these things. The focus of the raven, the focus of the lily is not on how they can live their best life now. It's just not. He says, so don't be constantly worrying about food and about clothes and about the things of this life, the quality of this life at the expense of your soul. Stop worrying about the quality of this life at the expense of your soul. Christ says, we receive a kingdom in exchange for our worry. That's really good news this morning. By the way, our greatest need is found in Christ. Our greatest need is for our soul to be safe and to be secure and to be satisfied. And without that, we are broke. We are flat broke. But Christ gives us himself. We see lastly right here, 
in these last three verses that the good life is a soul safe in Christ. He says, fear not. We saw it at the very beginning of this, of this passage. Here again, he says, and this, this conversation is continuing right here into verse number 32. But he says, don't be anxious. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now notice the imagery there. He says, fear not, little flock. Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Come to me. He said, is your father's good pleasure. We get to run to Abba, the one who wraps us up in his arms. This is a statement of identity. We come to him as sheep, as his children. I want to give you the kingdom. Who's the king of the kingdom? Jesus Christ is. What did it cost him in order to give you freely of this kingdom? It cost Jesus Christ his life. That's how valuable this kingdom is. He says, fear not. Jesus is not seeing him before and saying, fear not, never fear, do not be anxious. Instead, he's saying this. He's saying, it's an invitation into a better life. He's inviting you into his kingdom. This is not an invitation of God into our lives, saying, God, that's what I want to get. Can you make my life better? Can you help me get that? No, it's God inviting us into his kingdom, into the kingdom. You see, God's not a tool to help us build our kingdom. But he says, you're going to find safety and security and satisfaction in me. He gives us himself. And I would, we asked this at the beginning, but what is the good life? Do you actually want Jesus Christ more than things of this world? If all you had was Christ, would that be sufficient? Well, Jesus also provides food and clothing and shelter. Like, he does say he's going to provide that. Let's consider this. Have you, have you read the book of Acts? Where they're persecuted? Where they're put to death? Have you read Hebrews? Where have you read 1 Peter? When they're running for their lives? What about the book of Philippians? When Paul, the greatest missionary preacher, servant, maybe besides Jesus... When he's shipwrecked, when he's snake bit, when he's imprisoned, when he didn't have anything to eat. But what was Jesus telling him even then? He says, don't worry about it because you get me. He's not saying, hey, don't worry about it because I'm going to provide for you and your life is going to be awesome. So don't worry about it. That's called a prosperity gospel. We don't give. We don't seek the kingdom. We're not generous so that our lives look and feel better. That is the antithesis of the gospel, friends. We give and we focus on the kingdom and we don't worry about these things because we get Jesus and our souls are satisfied. If I were to ask you this morning, if you answer this question honestly, if I said, are you happy? You'd say yes or no. That's good. But if you say no, more money is not going to fix that. A pay raise is not going to fix that. A promotion, a better house, driving a better car is not going to fix that. Because what your soul is longing for is a relationship with the creator of the universe. So we live sacrificial lives. Verse 34, he finishes here. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is your soul safe? Because Jesus says there are two options. 
And he actually mentioned this back, if you look back at verse number 21, he said, is not rich toward God. That's a, that's a strange phrase there, but that word toward God literally means, is it enveloped by God? Are, are you putting your treasure, are you finding it in God himself? Are you placing your life inside of his? He says here, for where your treasure is, is, is a matter of location, not what is your treasure. He says, where is your treasure? In other words, where is your hope? Where is your heart? And there are two options. It's either in the things of the earth or it's in the things of the eternal. It's either in the immediate or it's in heaven. It's in your greeds or it's in Jesus Christ himself. Those are the only two options here. And he says, fear not, little flock. He says, the invitation into a better kingdom is right here before you. It's right here before you. Five questions. I'll close with these. Or first of all, are we using our lives to seek God and his kingdom? Or are we using God for the needs of our kingdom? Those are the only two options. It's not a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll help out with God's kingdom on Sundays. And maybe another time during the week. And, but the rest of the time, the other 160 hours out of the week, it's about my kingdom. Secondly, what is the source of life? What is your source of life? Because if heaven and the presence of Jesus Christ is your source of life, guess what? Poverty is not going to matter. If you have Jesus Christ, giving to others financially is not going to matter. Feeling the horizontal ache of those around you dealing with anxiety or depression or suicidal thoughts, it's, not, it's going to be much easier because you're not receiving life from them. You're able to give life to those around you because your source of life is coming down vertically from the Father. So we're able to live lives of love, not be crushed by the weight of our own anxiety. Thirdly, are my margins for living or giving? Th this is a very specific passage on how we use our money. He's speaking here. He calls this guy a rich fool. So, so how are we using, when we get to the end of the week or end of the month, how are we using the extra money? Are we giving that money? Are we tithing on that? By the way, percentage-wise, evangelicals, give less money to the church today than they did in the Great Depression. Percentage-wise. That's pretty wild. On average, an evangelical will give 2% of their gross income to the church. Where are we laying up treasure for ourselves? We have a world all around us that's dying going to hell. And man, I'm really glad that the air is on today. And the light, like, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for these things. But we need more resources so that we can engage those folks around us to free us up as pastors, to hire folks, to let them know what's going on here. So are we giving from the overflow or are we giving from the first fruits? Is that a priority in our lives? 
A soul that is safe is going to be a life that is generous. So is your soul safe this morning? And if it is, generosity is going to be no concern because the Father gives a kingdom that's never going to end. The fourth question is this, and I, I want you to discuss this with your family today at lunch this afternoon. This is a good discussion point for, for y'all. What would life in the kingdom look like? What would life in the kingdom look like? Because we can say we believe one thing, but your belief is always going to determine how you behave. It always does. You can say, well, I believe one thing, but I behave a different way. I, just, I don't know how to, how, to, how to make those things match. It's impossible. If you're behaving a certain way, it's because you believe something. The weight of our riches and the pursuit of our riches are disengaging our hearts from being able to be generous. The weight of the anxiety that we feel by keeping all these plates spinning are disengaging our hearts from the joy and the love of the Father. Our worry with so many things are not allowing us to be conduits of love to those around us. But what would life in the kingdom look like? And then lastly, what is keeping you from stepping into that today? Because Jesus says right here in the middle of this passage, as much as he loves the ravens, the birds of the field, as much as he loves the lilies, he loves you even more because you were created in his image. And even though we rebelled against him, even though we ran from him, Jesus Christ came and lived the perfect life for us. He died the death on the cross that we deserve to die, taking the wrath of the Father. He was buried and he rose to life three days later giving us his life, all of his perfection, giving us his death so that we can forever be made one with the Trinity. That is a good and gracious Father, and he invites you into that today. I think sometimes, I know for me, if I think, here's the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, here's the kingdom of Michael, I think sometimes I, I do this. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm over here. I'm living in this kingdom. I am, I am. But, but man, this is, God, I need this. I, I, I mean, this past week I was like, man, I, I need to make a list of all the things I need to buy. <laughs> you know, I need. Like, I need a winch on the front of my vehicle so I can go muddy. You know, like, I need these things. I need to buy better coffee. Man, I need, <laughs> pants that are so tight. You know, like, I need all of these things. But I only need those things when I'm living in my kingdom. So maybe the invitation is to, man, what does life here look like? Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. 